You're listening to the Big Finish podcast, leisurely curling itself up in a cosy, comfy post-Christmas way very near you on the 29th of December, 2019. Adam Adamant, gentleman adventurer. Definitely a Soho act. Private individual, drowning in money, used his wealth and position for good, ran several charities to help the disadvantaged, worked with the police and the government, solved crime, fought against enemies of the crown. Oh, he sounds annoying. Too good to be true. The world wasn't always rotten, you know. Yes, and that was a bit from Adam Adamant Lives. My name's Nick Briggs. I'm all alone for this podcast. Benji Clifford is um, having a little bit of a break. Well deserved, I think. But in a way, I'm not actually alone because I've got all sorts of uh, interesting people who are going to share some of their thoughts with you during this podcast. Naturally, we've got the second part of our Colin Baker interview, which we started in last week's podcast, which was out on the 22nd of December. You can still get it at bigfinish.com, of course, and on all your podcast provider services. Thingy doodah what's it's. That's a technical term. The other people I'm referring to are some of our sound designers and composers who will be talking about their favourite Big Finish productions this year. Uh, we start off with Joe Kramer, very soon actually, with Joe Kramer, and that will be followed by Rob Harvey and Simon Power. Then we will delve behind the scenes with Adam Adamant Lives, a really exciting Big Finish audio drama coming out in January, which is just a few days away, isn't it, January? <sighs> a new year, a new decade. Yeah. Adam Adamant Lives, uh, originally a TV series on the BBC back in the mid-60s. And in typical Big Finish style, we've reinvented it. Still set in the 60s. A Guy Adams has written some fantastic scripts. We've got Blake Ritson playing Adam himself. Um, yeah, and we'll be drama-teasing you with that at the end of the podcast, but also before that. We go behind the scenes with interviews with the cast and the writer and, and all that jazz. You know, I shall probably have a few words to say. <laughs> Can you shut me up? No, probably not. And um, after we've uh, had a little listen to what Colin Baker's had to say about his favourite Christmas, or at least a memorable Christmas, um, we rejoin our sound designers with Ian Meadows and Steve Foxen. And as I mentioned, uh, because I'm doing this all in the wrong order, because I am in fact curled up at the bottom of a non-existent Christmas tree that my wife's taken away, it's Adam Adamant Lives, the first 15 minutes drama teased for you. I'll give apologies now. No Big Finish emails. What? Well, you know, they're Benji's favourite thing, aren't they? I can't do them without him. The emails will be back next week with a vengeance and don't forget to send them to podcast at bigfinish.com so coming up now composer joe kramer this is joe kramer i'm so excited that i get to write music for doctor who my favorite project this year was definitely the missy box set the missy box set was definitely my favorite project of the year besides the Rose Tyler box set. The Rose Tyler box set and the Missy box set were definitely my favorite projects of the year um, besides the Paternoster Gang. The Paternoster Gang, the Rose Tyler box set and the Missy box sets were definitely my favorite projects of the... Oh, but I started Masterful last week. Oh, uh, heck. I love them all! Happy holidays! 
Oh, I also loved writing the music for the crime story Transference. Let's find out what sound designer and composer Rob Harvey has been up to. Hi, my name's Rob Harvey, and I work on post-production and music at Big Finish. So I think my favourite release this year was Warzone and Conversion from the Fifth Doctor range. It gave me the chance to delve into some Earthshock here at Doctor Who, which is a series I really like. I was able to give uh, some of Malcolm Clark's work a listen and infuse it with some sort of more of a modern style using you know, analog gear. I extensively use the analog gear I have to create the score, and I don't, really, I don't think you can fake real synths uh, when it comes to era-specific stories. They've got this kind of warmth to them. Um, it's kind of hard to explain unless I'm, you're actually sat here playing with them, but um, there's something very tactile about turning the knobs yourself as opposed to using your computer where you've got to actually use your mouse and keyboard to get the same effect. Um, it just doesn't feel right. So it's really nice to go into that sort of um, that, that musical sort of landscape. Um, someone who does a lot of orchestral scoring, jumping over to synths was just like, it was like trying to figure out how to work new tools and everything. Um, yeah, the orchestra is quite, uh, it's got quite a wide variety of colours and trying to figure out how to get those colours onto a synthesizer is quite difficult. So I'll play you a bit of my work. Um, this is from the very beginning of Warzone. So the majority of this track is is uh, comprised of uh, a couple of synths. One's called a Moog Mother Thirty Two, which is kind of um, uh, your kind of common or garden synth with with a keyboard attached. But there's a, there's another synth there as well, which is made by the same manufacturer, Moog um, or Moog, depending on how uh, how you how you want to say it. Um, it's called a drummer from an, from another mother, which is it's kind of it's kind of a cross between what you'd expect a synth to sound like, but it also sounds kind of uh, yeah, percussive. It's, it's called a drummer from another mother. It's got a very nice rhythmic quality. I'll just play a bit of that now. It's got a kind of techno vibe, but if you, as soon as you chuck the, um, the Mother 32 in there as well, Yeah, because that's quite a modern sound, isn't it? Um, but I did have to infuse it with some of the older synths, like I used uh, some of the Yamaha CS80 samples. Now, because the reason I use samples for a CS80 is because the uh, CS80s are insanely expensive now, and I just couldn't afford one. <laughs> so I've I've jumped on I've jumped online and found some wonderful CS80 samples, and it just sounds like Vangelis. It's beautiful. So the challenge of using these um, electronic, these uh, these fake synthesizers, if you like, is is learning how to program them, and it's you kind of take more of an IT role. Um, you do a lot more telling it what to do, as opposed to just on the fly turning the knobs, making it sound like you want, you want it to sound. You actually kind of got to go in into you kind of got to open the bonnet up and play around with the bits inside to make it do what you want. Um, so that's quite a challenge. 
So I've been really proud of my work over the whole of the Fifth Doctor range so far. Um, I think I've worked on three releases, and the, uh, the first one was Black Thursday and Power Game um, uh, from the Chameleon trilogy, and then I was on Tartarus um, for the very first of this trilogy. Um, I skipped Interstitial Feast of Fear and jumped over to Warzone Conversion um, to finish it off, and it was just it's been an absolute pleasure. I think Peter Davison is definitely my favourite Doctor. Um, he just his he gives it. He's really given it his all for this this. This series, I think everyone will agree that's probably my favourite Peter Davison performance ever. I think we all really felt it when um, he was getting angry about losing Mark. Um, I've really felt like he was projecting a lot of what his feelings were for Adric onto Mark, you know, uh, which was really effective and it was really inspiring. I'll also mention uh, uh, A Full Life. Um, written by Joe Lister. It was a short trip we did in 2016 um, about Adric, uh, about how, you know, he, going to another dimension and having a wonderful life and, and getting over it, essentially. Uh, so it's really nice. That was kind of one of my first composing jobs for Big Finish, and it's really nice to have come full circle and heard the other side of the story now. So, yeah, that's me. Thanks. Now we go straight over to Simon Power, who's talking about Emissary of the Daleks. This is Simon Power, and I was sound designer and composer on Emissary of the Daleks. You can't stop the resistance! You can't stop the truth being spoken! I think we can! Exterminate! Emissary wasn't just a kind of Daleks action-adventure shoot-em-up. It also had this other story arc of the Emissary herself, Carmen Rager, played by Saskia Reeves. As the representative of the Daleks, I have to be thorough for the sake of my people and my planet. And to protect your own skin? I'll give you an hour to reflect on your situation, Doctor. After that time, you should tell me everything you know. Otherwise, I'll have no choice but to hand you over for Dalek interrogation. It very cleverly showed how the Daleks can manipulate people into a position where they have to double-cross their own civilization. Dalek Supreme entering the control room! Report! There have been no further sightings of the prisoners! Your people have failed. Those tunnels are like a maze and they stretch for over a mile. Every watcher I can spare has been sent in. It's only a matter of time. It is imperative that the Doctor is recaptured. He will be, whatever it takes. For the Daleks, I used all the traditional sounds and then layered them up with harsh metallic effects and even some wet, kind of squidgy sounds. I mean, Nick had done such a great job with the voices that I wanted to try and match that and make them as evil and dark and unfriendly as possible. Lots of surprising sounds and things that make you jump. A bit like finding a poisonous snake in a dustbin. Is it... is it dead? It's moving. Help me push it over! When I was young, I was really into TV21 comic, and it had a Dalek strip by Richard Jennings. And the artwork just had the most amazing colors and textures and perspectives and angles. And that was really a huge inspiration while I was working on this title. 
I was trying to emulate the work of Richard Jennings using sound. Open sesame! Can we go now? I second that. Absolutely. Let's get aboard the other shuttle. Ah! Ah! What is that thing? Ah, a special weapons, Dalek. I hadn't planned on one of those. Into the shuttle, run! It was challenging sound design because it was such an action-adventure story. Every scene was either the Daleks against the Omnian rebels, or the Doctor and Perry being chased down a mineshaft, or the Daleks on their hover machines. It really kept me on my toes, but it was definitely my favourite title of 2019. And I hope you enjoyed listening to it, and I hope it was all worthwhile. Thanks. Okay, keep firing! I'm feeling a bit lonely here without Benji, it has to be said. Um, yeah, uh, a great guy, does brilliant work for Big Finish, as you know, and has become a really good and close friend. It's almost not a day goes by without us communicating in some form or another. Um, although today he's very busy. Apparently he's got a birthday party to go to and it's all a bit mad post-Christmas for him. But yeah, let, let's hope he's going to be all right. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what he's been up to. Anyway, what am I going on about? Oh, yes. Uh, We now go behind the scenes with Adam Adamant Lives. Hello, I'm Nick Briggs, and I am the director and script editor of Adam Adamant Lives. Okay, let's have a... So it's scene eight, isn't it? Let's have a bash through this. Here we go. And cue. It's been wonderful. But as much as it saddens me, I cannot give you my heart. I am forever a target for the enemies of this glorious country. I am a dead man walking, my dear. Can even Adam Adamant fight the grave? Yeah, baby. (laughs) Love it. Good. Well, it was sort of my idea, but it was really the idea of Big Finish listeners, because quite a number of people wrote in about it. And I did some investigations quite a long time ago about rights, and they didn't really go anywhere. And then to cut a very long, boring story short, there was suddenly an opportunity to get hold of the rights. And um, Jason, Jason Hay-Gallery, said to me, you know, what about that? And, uh, you know, and I said, yes, yes, I want to do it now then. And that's how it came about. And of course, I did have this mad idea that I would write it, but I'm so overcommitted. So I was searching around for a writer who, whose eyes would light up when I mentioned Adam Adamant Lives. And I spoke to a number of writers who didn't know I was going to talk to them about this. I was talking to them about other things. And I said, oh, by the way, what do you think about Adam Adamant Lives? And, and they would go, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to write that. And I thought, oh, that's not good enough. I want someone who's going to sort of, you know, take my arm off to do it sort of thing. And, um, and I was having a meeting with Guy about other things and uh, mentioned it to him and he sort of stopped. I think we were sort of crossing the road after leaving a restaurant or something and he sort of stopped and said, oh, now... You know, and, and there was that tone of voice, sort of, now you're talking. Oh, oh, and he was seeing the possibilities already. And I thought, well, Guy's the man to do this because I could see the sparkle of enthusiasm in his eye. I'm Guy Adams, and I am the writer of Adam Adamant Lives Again. 
finding my way into you know what what would I like to do with Adam Adamant? You know, I, I want to make sure that the you know the listeners, fans of the show, would be able to pick up the box and not immediately fling it across the room as what have they done with my my cherished Edwardian? But nonetheless, I wanted to sort of find just a little angle on it that would make it fresh and interesting to do. I think when you're doing something like this, obviously you're recasting, obviously it's it's a new production. You know, you're, you're making a cover version, and there's really nothing quite so dull as cover versions that sound identical to the original. So, you know, what sort of spin can you put on it? My name is Blake Ritson, and I play the eponymous Adam Adamant. I am a terrible man. I thought you were a hero. Oh, well, that too. So Adam Adamant is a gentleman adventurer fighting ne'er-do-wells, trying to restore order to the realm and defend the crown. He disappears, suddenly fighting his greatest nemesis, the Face, who is a kind of villain and anarchist and uh, all-round rogue. And then he suddenly, we find him in 1960s London. And certainly at the beginning of episode one, he is utterly displaced, utterly has out of his comfort zone, no sense of how he's got here, and very much trying to resolve the great mystery of how he has travelled through time. Blake was Nick's first choice. He told me about Blake. I looked him up and immediately went, oh, get him, okay. Yes, perfect. Obviously, completely and utterly perfect. Absurdly, of course, the first thing you do is go, he looks amazing for the part. (laughs) Well, that's a really stupid observation. But he's just a phenomenal actor. I have an awful habit when writing of writing words that look pretty on the page. So I'll I'll do lines that are quite convoluted. They will have a few too many words in. The rhythm will be important. There'll be assonance, there'll be alliteration, there'll be all all this kind of florid nonsense that people never speak like that. But when you have the opportunity to write dialogue like that, it's it's just nice. And then you you hand the, the, the page to an actor and that poor actor has to then stand in a booth and say that without barking his shins on every single clause. And I was discussing this with Blake yesterday because he's so good, he's so clever. You give him dialogue, it's actually... I mean, it's sadistic, it's cruel, and, and he just rattles it off beautifully. It's, I could dance to Blake's performance. The man's phenomenal. He's quite a vulnerable soul, I think, in episode... I mean, actually, throughout the first season, he, he's constantly battling and wrangling with his demons, which manifest themselves as the face, as a, a kind of projection of his neuroses and fears... So there's this kind of haunting presence within his head. So I think he's really casting around for someone who can help him navigate this modern, strange world. And Georgina is brilliant at anchoring him. And I think she has a very similar spirit to Adam in many ways. She's another adventurer. She really has a passion for investigating. So I think they're a very good pairing. My idea was always for it to be slightly different, and I was thinking along the lines of that it should be a reinvention in the way that I sort of reinvented uh, The Prisoner for audio. So make it very familiar and similar in many ways, but also a bit of a departure in others. But Guy really ran with the idea of reinventing it, and he, he's changed it quite considerably, the whole business of the face talking to Adam Adamant all the time. I thought that was a beautiful idea. And Georgina's character has changed a bit because we don't live in the 1960s anymore and the level of 
patronising of women, sexism really, and, you know, lashings of misogyny thrown in for good measure. Those were all just baseline assumptions of all entertainment, you know, right up until the 90s, really. You look back at stuff and you go, oh, ouch, ah, maybe even into this century as well. It's just the way things were and, and we don't tell stories like that anymore. And so I don't think we ever sat down and thought, let's not patronise women. <laughs> you just naturally think you, you don't want to do that sort of thing. And of course, then you create um, very strong female characters. My name's Millie Thomas and I play Georgina Jones. Before it all begins and before she's sort of thrown into this madcap adventure, she's been researching a book. So she has quite a lot of knowledge of the Edwardian era and is very much a dreamer. I think she secretly prefers that world to hers, the world, this sort of, you know, this ar archaic world of mystery and it's all quite out of reach. And she likes to live in in her research in her book and her friends sandy and wren see that in her a lot and often it's an interesting thing for radio actually because she's there but she's not there she's presenting physically presenting conversations but her mind is very much elsewhere and then she meets adam adamant who when he announces himself as adam adamant she's um one of the few people who knows exactly who he is knows of his exploits, knows what he's done. And also it is able to sort of suspend her disbelief a, a minute because I think it, it's sort of impossible. If someone turns up and says, listen, I'm from 1902, and at no point does she question her own sanity. She sort of takes it as fact and seems to accept it all quite readily, which is something that I think we may explore in the series to come. But I'm very sort of... I'm very excited by her optimism. If you want to catch up with Adam, Adamant Lives and pre-order it, and well, you'll be getting it very soon because it's coming out in January, just go to bigfinish.com and in that little uh, search pane at the uh, top of the page, yeah, you know, with the magnifying glass, um, you type in uh, Adam Adamant, that'll do it, and then you'll find it. And volume one is called A Vintage Year for Scoundrels and features three episodes entitled Episode One, What is This Place? Episode two, Death Has a Thousand Faces. And episode three, Georgina Jones Dies. <sighs> Coming up now, as promised, the second part of the Colin Baker interview I did after a top secret recording of a top secret story just a few weeks ago. And I'd ask Colin if he had a particularly uh, memorable Christmas that he would like to tell us about. <laughs> and there'll be some other comments along the way. It was after my first marriage had toddled off into the uh, unknown. <laughs> and I was doing pantomime in Cork in Ireland. And myself and the princess or whatever. What was it? Was it? It was Dick Whittington. And it was... I've been in Dick Whittington. I can't a, remember. A, an I Irish... Was Alderman Fitzwarren. It was, it was an Irish panto. Yes. And this was... See, I'm talking about 1970, something like that. And and they had the gen, same gender playing... You know, you didn't have a girl uh, uh, playing Dick Whittington. Yes. It was me. Right. And uh, they had a comic who was male. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and he had such a strong Cork accent, I couldn't understand a word he said. Not a word, and he freewheeled. 
and you come on stage and look at me and go, hey, that's what I've here, I've lost all here. And the audience would fall about. <laughs> and you'd be looking at me going, toss up, you know what I mean? I had no idea what he was saying. So I couldn't even join in. It was baptism of fire. It was, my, it was my second ever panto. The girl who was playing the princess, she was 17. She was had won a TV talent competition. Right. And she was, as a result of that, uh, you could put her name above the title. Yeah. She cried from the moment that she arrived in Ireland because she missed her parents. <laughs> there was a... The fairy had a boyfriend who'd come over... He was a sailor of some kind. He'd come over in the boat to spend Christmas with his girlfriend. And the four of us were the only ones who weren't living there because all the others were uh, Irish citizens who none of whom invited us to join them. Um, <laughs> so we went for lunch in this hotel... And in a way, I rather enjoyed it because I, I was feeling a bit grumpy with life anyway. And th there was this sobbing girl missing her parents and there were no mobile phones then. She couldn't be FaceTiming them. And the fairy and her boyfriend split up over Christmas dinner <laughs> and he stormed out. Oh, my God. And she was a bear of very little brain. Right. And it, it's and just one... here now. It's... <laughs> It, it was memorable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fortunately, it was so appalling that I, I have it as a treasured, very funny memory, which when I write the autobiography, I will embellish upon. I think you could uh, write a play about that Christmas, <laughs> couldn't you, really? Oh, and I had my dog. So I just, that afternoon, after lunch, I just disappeared with my red setter and walked for miles along a beach. It was lovely, actually. That bit was nice. That's a lovely memory. Well, anyway, yeah. What about you? Me? Oh, well, Christmas memory. Uh, I suppose I remember one when I was a kid, and I wanted, uh, I wanted to be Father Christmas, and a lofty um, ambition. And and so I dressed up as him, and I was going around the house distributing hats and things, and going <laughs> ho ho ho, being completely ignored by my parents. But anyway, yeah, I remember that. And and uh, it was right in the middle of the time when the Daleks were really popular in the 60s, Dalek mania. And it seemed like all my toys were, da all the toys presents were Daleks. <laughs> Little Daleks, big Daleks, middle-sized Daleks, Dalek uh, uh, pyjamas, Dalek slippers, you know, just everything was Daleks. So perhaps it was my A good memory. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but nothing after that. It's all been rubbish. Panto, there's a lot of Panto <laughs> memories for me. I mean, and of course, my son, by the way, you know, it's fantastic for him. So, you, It gives you a reason to have Christmas. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it was just my wife and I, we'd have a very quiet and boring, thoroughly enjoyable giggle, yeah. really. Well, last year we gave him a, a PlayStation and he was so uh, moved by it that he, he ran away and cried and said, you've spent too much money on me. What? You know, it broke my little heart. I mean, he's been oh, playing 20 it ever age, since. Is he? <laughs> 29 and <laughs> 10 years old yeah well he would have been nine or eight or I don't know. Uh, nine he would have been nine yeah uh, yeah but i mean i thought that was so no and it was really genuine he was he was overwhelmed oh. by it yeah i was never overwhelmed by a present i got given my wife and i now have a very good system um she says to me what would you like for christmas i said don't worry i'll get it i'll give it to you to wrap so i buy myself some things i want give them to her to wrap, and then for all those around, 
because like my children won't listen to this either, so they won't know that we cheat. And she lets me know what she wants, and that's what we do. And we unwrap it and we go, oh, isn't that lovely? <laughs> Steph and I don't buy each other presents, so that's what we say. And so I don't buy her anything, and then she buys me something. Yes. But I forget about it, and she said... Don't you remember, I buy you something every year. I said, but we say we're not buying presents. And she goes, I know. And then she just goes and does it anyway. We've done that too. We've done that. Yeah. I'm doing that with a few friends this year. Because you know, there's only so many tins of biscuits or bottles yeah. or nuts. I don't buy presents for anyone, really. Not anyone? No. Do you have relatives? Not that I buy presents for. I get a present for my mum, but Steph sorts that out. Because she has ideas about and she goes, what? Your mum said she likes so and so. We should get her that. Like a brilliant idea. Can you sort it? Yeah. Jason? No. no. Does he give you anything? No. That's the way to do it, you see. Yeah. That is the way to do it. Rob Shearman and I used to buy each other presents. And then we got to a point where I think we both said, can we, let's just stop, shall we? Because we were starting to buy each other things that were desperation presents. And we go, oh, very nice. Why do I want this? You know. And Rob will hear this and go, no, I liked everything you bought me. <laughs> My daughter gave me a... I, I kind of said at some point that I thought it would be a lovely thing to have and forgot about. And she... Uh, she asked me to make a list of my favourite song from each year of my life. Oh, wow. So I went through. Go, oh, yeah. And she recorded them all, put them on CDs. So I've got... It was about five Christmases ago. So I've got... Uh, 70 uh, tracks of my choice of the best oh. of the record I liked of that year. That's really the nice. Best. I like that. And I gave myself a rule, no doubles. So I can only have one Beatles. Oh, I see. And no, one Rolling Stone. Right. Oh, God. And, okay. And it's it's one of my most... And it costs her a lot of time, yes. but nothing else. But it's nice and it's a present to spend that, that time. And I haven't forgotten either. Mm. I forget what most people give me. Do you like my present? Oh, what was it? What was it? Yeah, yeah. And fans are so kind and generous, and they give you presents. Yeah. And then you meet them months later. I can't remember what it was. It makes you feel that you come across as so ungrateful when you're not. No, you're I'm grateful. sure they understand. That, In the moment you got it and ate it, you were very <laughs> grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, gets eaten. So Christmas is about that and. and and Panto, Panto memories. The one I remember is when I was playing King Rat and I got a letter from a mother saying her child had not slept for the last two weeks because being frightened of me coming to their house and killing him because um, I was so scary as King Rat. So I wrote back and said, bring him round to meet me at the, the cafe in the theatre before I put all the makeup on, mm. do all that, and have a cup of tea and then... You can come into the dressing room and watch me put my makeup on, That's and good. that might. So it was fine. We yeah, had tea, and he was he was a shy and retiring little boy. I was, yeah. He was quite. <laughs> you were, weren't you? And uh, that all went well. Then we went to the dressing room, and as soon as I started putting the makeup on, he screamed and had to be taken out. <laughs> so, wasting my time there. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your Christmas. Thoughts. That's all right. You couldn't stop me, could you? And on and on and on. That's what we want. We want content, Colin, and you've given us content. content. Premium content. Anyway, um, have a lovely Christmas. Thank you very much, and you.
old friend. Colin Baker there. I think he's the doctor I've known the longest, you know, to, to chat to. Um, um, if you're interested in Colin Baker's uh, Doctor Who adventures, you can go to the Big Finish site, bigfinish.com, type in Sixth Doctor. There's also the Sixth Doctor available under the uh, audiobooks tab. And also there's uh, a Colin Baker uh, interview thingy I did. I wonder where you would find that. Let me just find out. Colin Baker. Colin Baker. Ah, oh, yeah, there we are. It's called This Is Colin Baker. And, well, here's a trailer for it. I was born on the 8th of June, 1943, on Waterloo Bridge. On That's the, a good starter, isn't it? On the bridge. Actually, on Waterloo Bridge. At the south end of Waterloo Bridge, on the bridge, partially on the bridge, partially on land, is a building that was called the Royal Waterloo Lying-In Hospital. L- Lying-In lying in means, but I suppose you lie in while you have a baby. So, and the maternity ward was on the top floor of the Royal Waterloo Lying-In Hospital. And I was born on the top floor of that building. Uh, I'm not sure whether there were air raids going on on that very day. Um, I suppose someone could look it up and find out. Um, I think there were most of the bombs fell a bit earlier than that. But it could well be that the bombs were raining on London and they decided to bring me into the world on the top floor of a hospital. Slap bang across the river from the Houses of Parliament. Big finish. We love stories. Time now for us to uh, go back to our lovely sound designers and composers, find out what they've been up to this year. A brilliant sound designer who I really enjoy working with, worked with him on The the Prisoner and Space 1999. Uh, Ian Meadows. Um, Let's see what he's had to say about this year working for Big Finish. I was wanting to do a big production number on this, but um, time being what it is, it's caught me up. And so here I am, sat in a studio at the radio station, just waiting to go on air in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, This is a bit like a Sophie's Choice, trying to say which was my favourite production. I've enjoyed them all, all the ones that I've done this year. Um, But here goes with a few thoughts. Do you need me to say who I am? It's um, Ian Meadows, or my name is Ian Meadows. Uh, This year... Um, I think there have been some standout productions that I've worked on for me. I mean, one of them was Space 1999, which was absolutely brilliant to be a part of. One, because, you know, uh, you wrote a fantastic script, Nick. Two, Benji was doing the music. I think probably one of the big challenges, though, was the turnaround. It was quite tight, I seem to recall. Um, So we had to do it quite quickly. Um, uh, and your suggestion, Nick, that you could do all the parts for me just to give me a, a way of being able to start the sound design was brilliant. Um, I think you did a great job. We are down in Sector 2, all clear for connectors. Nuclear waste shipment ZZ1023 has arrived. Shipment 9990 Alpha 4 now ready for storage. This is Dr. Russell, medical check show A-OK. Got. Got. And so that was a way of of overcoming that so we could start getting uh, all the sounds into place. I think 
just being able to redesign and recreate some of those iconic sounds was um, a real treat. Uh, the Eagles, I think, are uh, probably one of the most iconic spaceships that people have seen on TV. So to actually recreate that sound and, and sort of put together Moonbase Alpha again, and with such a brilliant cast, uh, and I think with all big Finnish productions, when you have a cast who are just so very good at what they do, you really sort of want to do them justice, you know, go the extra mile for them. So if if anybody hasn't listened to Space 1999, I think one of the great things is the fact that the story breathes a bit more in this reboot. And I think the science makes a bit more sense. I mean, I never really questioned it as as a kid, but as an adult, you start looking at things and you think, well, hang on a minute. Uh, So all of that is rectified. And I think this is really it's it's epic i think space 1999 as it goes forward really will be epic i mean it will be everything that perhaps maybe it it wasn't because of the limitations of budget and technology at the time um but with audio of course the, the pictures are brilliant in your mind and hopefully, you know, we've we've created some good pictures. But, you know, Benji doing the music, uh, Nick's script, it's just fantastic. So um, you would also, if you listen to it, if you purchase it, you can hear Nick being absolutely everybody as part of the, the special features. From Big Finish Productions. This is Earth Orbital Station 1 controller to Eagle Shuttle 4409. You are cleared for departure to Moonbase Alpha. Right now, for all you space enthusiasts out there, it's Space 1999. No! I'm detecting a spike in vital signs. Coffee, Commander Koenig. Mm. Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks. Welcome to the program, Commissioner. Very happy to be here, Petra. <sighs> My big moment. Paul! Paul Morrow, is that you? The pilot's out cold. I got a total computer shut down here, Paul. Something hit us. Uh, oh, Victor. Oh, it's good to see you. Ah, he's breaking through, John. Stun him! But I've got another astronaut sick. Just like the others. Just as hopeless. How many more people are gonna have to die, Simmons? Paul! Commander, there's a problem with Eagle 4 on approach to Sector 2. Break away immediately. That's an order. Break away. Moonbase Alpha, 13 September 1999. This is Dr. Helena Russell. Put me through to Metaprobe Commander Alan Carter. What's this? Not making house calls anymore, Doctor. Sector 2's exploding! My God! It's like they're watching us. The moon and the Earth are safe. People are dying out there, John. Recall all eagles. What exactly is happening out there? Can we get through Moonbase Alpha? It's only us who might get our socks blown off, Simmons. Space 1999. Breakaway. I think some of the other productions that I've been part of, uh, The Further Adventures of Lucy Miller, I mean, how great to have Lucy Miller back and have Sheridan back in the studio with Paul McGann. I've always loved that pairing and I've always loved The Eighth Doctor. I mean, I love a bit of Doctor Who. To do The Eighth Doctor was just such a treat. And, you know, four cracking stories, which it... And and that was a, a... 
an interesting one because it was a little bit deceiving because, you know, the stories, they all actually do end up interlinking. And it's when you get to the final story with the Fendal that you you realise, oh, this is where it's been leading. So that was that was great. Hello? Testing? Dear Diary, this is me, Lucy Miller, recording me, speaking into something that looks like, um, a little bit like an old cassette tape. You remember those? <laughs> Why am I asking? Don't even know who's listening. <laughs> Come on, keep going! We can make it! The TARDIS isn't far now! This rain actually tastes like strawberries. It isn't rain! What? It isn't rain! Well, I mean, if it isn't rain, well, what is it? Mucus! Keep concentrating, Lucy. Keep concentrating. I'm concentrating. I'm concentrating. What am I meant to be concentrating about? Anything you like. No! Run, Jack! Run! The flying pests are breaching the atmospheric bubble! They can't get to us now. Oh, cracky moly. They weren't messing about, were they? Nope. Woohoo! Badaboo! Then, of course, the prisoner, which is so close to my heart. I mean, that's uh, the first thing I, I, I actually um, did sound design on for Big Finish and to sort of follow the journey through and to be responsible for bringing the village back to life um, and to see just exactly where we were going to go on that journey. Again, Nick, you wrote some fantastic scripts for that. I mean, really, such a treat. And Mark, as number six, was just everything you could ask for really and again such a cast orange alert orange alert my god what is it i won't be pushed stamped debriefed or numbered listen to me listen to me there's nothing control doesn't know open fire how's the future and for my entertainment, make it convincing. I'm in charge. There's a cod war with Iceland. <laughs> cod? Maybe there is no escape from the village. Um, but the thing about the village and the prisoner is that you can have the mundane, like a ticking clock, next to the extraordinary rover breaking into Number Six's house and enveloping him uh, as he did in, uh, in Volume 2. Um, so... It, it's just been an absolute pleasure, really. And uh, here's to 2020 and more exciting productions with Big Finish. Well, thank you very much to Ian there. Um, now, Steve Foxen, who's been with us for many, many years. Here he is chatting about his work for Big Finish in 2019. Hello, I'm Steve Foxen, a sound designer and composer for Big Finish Productions. I've worked on uh, so many great projects this year. It's quite difficult to single particular ones out, but on the sound design side of things, I would have to say that uh, Transference was um, probably my favourite. Transference. He's a fantasist? Yeah, maybe. I can't work him out. She says I'm a psycho. I'm not sure he's even using his real name. One minute he's married, then he's divorced, then he's never been married. His kids have had loads of different names and ages. Like they're just a story. Is any of it true? Yes, some bits. Just don't trust anyone. Be careful. 
Okay, you're making me really uncomfortable now. Good. You should be. Big Finish. We love stories. What if I killed someone? Certainly my favourite story of the year is an absolutely excellent thriller that everyone really should listen to with lots of twists and turns. You'll never guess what's going on and what's going to happen next. And even though it's written by four writers, they it's all brought together absolutely marvellously um, and works really well. Um, and I enjoyed working on that because, because of the story itself, but also because... It's it's a real world story, so everything needed to sound realistic, uh, as opposed to um, sci-fi or futuristic or anything like that. Um, and that's always a challenge, bizarrely enough, to to make things sound real. Um, but it was great. I really enjoyed working on it. Um, always enjoy working with Ken as a director as well. Um, I'm really happy with how it came out. Um, and everyone really should go and buy it and have a listen. It is uh, marvelous. On the music front, it would be something that I've actually just been working on that isn't out until next year, so I don't know if that's cheating a bit. Um, but I had an absolute blast at composing the music for The Psychic Circus, which I've just finished. is Roland D50, uh, DX7 um, and so on and um, coming out with some lovely greatest show in the galaxy style um, 80s music cues. Uh, enjoyed that very much. As I said, um, worked on some really great stories uh, this year. Another standout one probably um, which made me laugh the most was uh, definitely Captain Jack Peace of Mind um, which starred John Brownman as Captain Jack but also Colin Baker as the Doctor um, where they sort of play each other uh, I won't say much more than that because I don't want to spoil it but um, it's, it's hilarious and absolutely brilliant story and everyone should check that out as well and I had great fun working on that Let go of me I'm Regenerating! Hello, I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casturbarus. You're the Doctor? You can't be. I can't be. <laughs> I'm the new Doctor. New body, same great taste. Look at this coat. Love it. Listen, you can't go around pretending to be me. The Doctor is a wandering philosopher king in exile. A fount of wisdom and kindness. And above all... Humble. Have you ever met yourself? Oh, and of course, not forgetting the marvellous Professor Bernice Summerfield. Uh, worked on The Sound and Music for Volume 5 of that this year. Uh, always a delight working on Benny, um, especially with uh, David Warner in there as well. The stories are always great. And there's some really great stories from some uh, new writers this year. Um, and I always loved the music on that as well. So um, I do need to mention that as well. 
Thanks, everyone, and a happy new year. Huge thanks to Steve there. does such fantastic work for us and it's just such a a brilliant chap always lovely to chat to and i just want to thank all the sound designers who've um, managed to put something together for the podcast because they just did it for fun and for free and to to help out uh, just to entertain you lot and me actually i found it quite entertaining listening to them i'm not going to mention howard carter who promised faithfully to do something but clearly he's too busy which frankly he and all the other sound designers are most of the time so this is a big shout out from all of us at big finish to all of you who do the sound designer music you know it's um people often forget it um uh, you know think people talk about the actors and the writers and maybe even sometimes the directors but it's the sound designers and composers who really create that big finish magic that um that bring it all to life really and i know they work with the directors but it has to be said that they are mostly left to use their own creativity and offer stuff rather than being very meticulously guided they you know they get all these files sent to them full of dialogue from different scenes with different time stamps on and it's like this incredibly daunting really jigsaw puzzle that they have to put together especially if you imagine like for a four-hour box set that's a hell of a lot of work and they um just put their metaphorical noses to the metaphorical grindstone and they just get on with it and produce the most marvelous stuff so well done to all of you thank you so much from the bottom of my heart did you think i'd forgotten the randomoid selectatron how could i okay i'm going to press the button now i've got to find the site actually that will involve going to the internet and doing some typing right randomoid select let's see what comes up oh yeah here we go so i'm going to select something Doctor Who, the first Sontarans. Let's hear the trailer. Perry, I give you the surface of the moon. Oh. What is it? A crash satellite or something? We'll fetch it back to the TARDIS. That's better. <sighs> what is it? A relay? To hide the true origin of the signal, Earth. My name's Jacob Gilly. I own the local tavern. Just what we need, isn't it, Doctor? What? God love you, sir. Oh, is someone after you? He tried to kill me. Who did? What is it? Look up. Good. Great. Sontaran scout ships. That's very close. If we run, we might just get to the TARDIS in time. Lead the way. Fight us into space. Don't run right there. Get down. Harry. Ah! Now hear this. This is Fleet Marshal Jaka. There is glory here. Captains of the fleet, the order is full speed for Earth. We must remove this planet from space. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com. This is from The Lost Stories. It's written by Andrew Smith and stars Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant, of course, as you probably gathered from that. And was released back in 2012. Well, there you are. You get 25% off that brilliant all you have to do to get hold of that 25 percent discount is go to where the podcast is listed either on the homepage of uh, the big finish site bigfinish.com or to the podcast range and in the text there there's a little um 
little bit of text that uh, explains about the randomized selectron. So I'm just going to go and, and, and test it now. So I'm clicking on the latest podcast thing. And uh, in the third or fourth paragraph, it says the randomized selectron also features offering you a 25% reduction on the selected release. Just click here. There you are. Press that button, that word, that highlighted word, and enter the code BUCKUP. B-U-C-K-U-P. It used to be a podcast joke saying, buck up, buck up. We haven't said it for ages. I just said it then. Anyway, press that and you'll get your 25% off the first Sontarans. Well, thanks very much, Ran. That's just about it for my lonely podcast experience. I hope it hasn't been too lonely for you because there have been lots of other voices edited in. It's just lonely for me sitting here in my shed. <sighs> um, I suppose it's time for me to say goodbye. Listen, I hope you've had a good year, in spite of um, all the trials and tribulations that inevitably come everyone's way every year. Um, and it's been an, an interesting year, has it not? Um, I'll say no more on that controversial topic. Um, have uh, a lovely uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day celebration. And of course, we're all looking forward to the very new series of Doctor Who on the telly. That's going to be great. And here is to a fantastic 2020. Big finish love to you all. And while I'm off having a non-alcoholic beer, uh, perhaps you'd like to entertain yourself with the first 15 minutes of something that I've worked on and have loved and hope you will love. It's the really rather brilliant Adam Adamant Lives, Volume 1. A Vintage Year for Scoundrels. Episode 1. What is this place? The first 15 minutes for absolutely free. No. No, can't. Must think of. Must think of. Dear Lord, man, get the Prime Minister to safety! Master. Master, the blasted thing moves like lightning. Someone is going to have to deal with that finned menace. The Prime Minister's not. Prime Minister's not. What's. what's happening? Why can I not? Can I not? We have only four minutes left. After that, the 438 from Plymouth becomes the fastest bomb ever imagined. Inspector, you must clear Paddington. I shall do my best to defuse the bomb, but heaven knows. I am only a human. I really think this might be it. I really, really think this might be It's been wonderful, but as much as it saddens me, I cannot give you my heart. I am forever a target for the enemies of this 
glorious country. Out of the way, you gawping idiots! Hmm? I beg your pardon? Out of the way, move, give him space. Hold on! I've called an ambulance. Just, just hold on, all right? I am a dead man walking, my dear. Can even Adam Adamant fight the grave? Adam? Who did you say? Adam Adamant! Adam Adamant! Bold as a knight in white armor. Cold as a shot from a gun. wonderful, but as much as it saddens me, I cannot give you my heart. I am forever a target for the enemies of this glorious country. I am a dead man walking, my dear. Can even Adam Adamant fight the grave? <sighs> give me your lips, darling. Let me feel your kiss. Hear your voice one last time. Are you quite well, my dear? <laughs> you sound somewhat hoarse. Your eyes burning like electric lights. That cry from between metal teeth, soot stained and flecked with the dead bodies of insects. <laughs> Why, it sounds to me like the call of death itself. Dead man! Dead man! Dead man! Defibrillator. Atropine, now. Now! Atropine, quickly! Cleopatra used this to dilate her pupils. Wanting to appear attractive, as if being Cleopatra wasn't enough. Now give me a vein, you broken, annoying man. Cleopatra wasn't the only one. You find this stuff in Belladonna. Women took it all the time. Wide-eyed and willing. Let's see his chest, please. Now get back and let me Frankenstein! Clear! Love. Oh, at least I could do. Oh, sure. I told you I was coming anyway. Ren's shift finishes at 12. I don't like her walking home on her own. As if anyone would pick a fight with Ren. Don't you believe it? Remember Julie? She did judo, all stamping feet and throwing. She was good at it, though. Showed off at parties. Put a couple of port and lemons in her and she'd be throwing people all over the shop. Julie? Mad hair, lovely smile. Ah, mad hair, lovely smile. Yeah, well, half of that smile ended up on the Bayswater Road last week. What? Heading home after a night at the champion. 
Some bloke dragged her behind a hedge and beat her up. Did he have a reason? Yeah, love. The only one they ever need. Judo didn't do her much good. She might not see properly out of her left eye. Things swelled up to the size of an apricot. That's horrible. All too believable for those of us who spend a bit more time this century, Georgie. On the subject of which, how's your book going? Yeah, okay. Lots of research. You say she might not get her sight back? In her left eye, aye. Even if she does a peripheral vision shot, that's what's worried her the most. That she might not be able to see the next one sneaking up on her. Not that it did her much good this time. Poor cat will probably never dare leave the house again anyway. Oh, good job we're in hospital, innit? They can pump our stomachs out once we've drunk this slop. Oh, let's kill it with sugar. Disgusting. You're telling me. Glad you paid for it. I've got too much self-respect. I meant Julie. Hmm. That too. Except nobody's going to pay for that, most likely. Surprise, surprise. The police aren't bending over backwards over it. Anyway, enough of that. It's depressing. Tell me about your corpse. Corpse? Well, if he wasn't when they brought him in. Have a little faith. Wren was looking after him. She's amazing, but she's not God. Oh, don't tell her I said that, though. That she's not God? I said she was amazing. She's got enough of an ego as it is. True. Well, she'll earn it tonight. The car threw him up in the air like a tennis ball. Never seen anything like it. So much quieter than in the movies. Pathetic, really. Just a little thud. Was he drunk? Wandering into the road like that. Didn't smell like it. He was dressed up smart. Black tie. Hmm, they're the worst. They can afford to get really drunk. All titles and champagne. Night out at the ballet, probably. Stumbling home. Head full of prancing and bubbles. Boom! A black cab right up the Aris. You've spilt my coffee. Thanks for that. I was doing you a favour. A few more sips of that and you'd have been like you wandering toff, knocking on death's door. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for I am a man who has embraced his fate. Adamant, I have a gift for you, lead-lined and sealed with a gunpowder kiss. Where I tread, others seek to stop me, seek to kill me. With fist and I am gone. They will stop at nothing to remove me as this country's defender. Because I am the last stand. I am the one who will not give up, who will not let the forces of chaos and violence and evil and immorality ride roughshod over the good people of this land. I will fight. Yes, and I will win. Because I am the brick wall beyond which you will not pass. I am the last defense. I am Britannia. With bloody fist and unbowed head, I am righteousness. I am the law. And I am Adam Adamant. And I won't die. I will not die!
damn right you won't. Not while I'm here to keep you kicking. Keep monitoring him. I want his x-rays by dinner, or I'll be serving the radiographer up to the hungry mouths in this ward, rather than their scheduled plate of awful. He said he was who? Adam Adamant. Never heard of him. Sounds like a Soho act. He was a hero. No such thing. There used to be, during the reign of Queen Victoria and into the Edwardian era, Adam Adamant, gentleman adventurer. Definitely a Soho act. Private individual, drowning in money, used his wealth and position for good, ran several charities to help the disadvantaged, worked with the police and the government, solved crime, fought against enemies of the crown. Oh, he sounds annoying. Too good to be true. The world wasn't always rotten, you know. Of course it was. People are awful. How do you know all this, anyway? Research for the book. He was amazing. How old is he? No wonder he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't tell me your drunken car dodger was ancient. He wasn't. He was... I don't know. Pretty young-looking, actually. But then he wasn't Adam Adamant, was he? Is Adamant even still alive? Nobody knows. He disappeared. 1902. Fighting the face. Fighting his face? What are you talking about? The face. Anarchist. Villain. Wore a mask. Are you making this up? You'll be telling me he punched about in a cape next. Um, he probably did, actually. I thought you were researching turn-of-the-century London, not comic books. It's all a matter of historical fact. Well, it sounds mad, and so does your bloke. Adam Adamant, indeed. Maybe I should start calling myself Deirdre Definite. Sandy certain. If only I were. Oh, hey, Ren! Hello, you two. Loitering around hospitals. Ghouls. How's loon? He's not really mine. I'm not taking responsibility for him. You can't, anyway. Until he's walking about, I have responsibility. And I can't promise he's going to do that. He's been given an extreme battering. He just went into a sisterly. Kinky. He all but flatlined. Luckily, there was a little electrical activity left. I was able to shock him back into a stable rhythm. That's not my real worry, though. I'm a doctor. I can deal with all that. I have all the drugs, all the training, and all the bloody-mindedness. So what's the problem? Well... Concussions are given, but there seems more to it than that. He's mentally reclusive. Reclusive? Mm. It's always hard to judge these things, but he's extremely unresponsive mentally. Hardly surprising. He was claiming to be a dead Edwardian earlier. A what? He said he was Adam Adamant. Indeed, he did, several times. Other than a whispered insistence that he wasn't going to be annoying and die on me, it's the only thing I've heard him say. I've added his name to his notes and informed the police. They won't find him. No. Adam Adamant doesn't exist. Adam Adamant doesn't exist. Oh, Mr. Adamant. What a delight to meet you again. Pull up a chair by the fire here. <laughs> you look as though you have had a trying time. Trying? Not at all. I've barely begun to exercise. Perhaps I'll get to flex my muscles a little more shortly. Oh, please, don't be such a thug. <laughs> really, it's like chatting with a knuckle in a cravat. Sit down and act like a gentleman. <laughs> a gentleman responds to his company, sir. And a gentleman most certainly doesn't wear a mask. 
That rather depends on what may lie beneath it. You may not like what I could reveal. Sir, it takes more than cheap flummery to unsettle me. You may wear my face and use my voice, but you are not me. No? No, I am after all the face. I could be anybody, everybody, and perhaps I am. It was more interesting when I was knuckled to chin with the stupidest this country has to offer. You are nothing but an irritant, a self-important end-of-the-peer merchant who hides his mediocrity behind a mask. The face. You haven't even got the confidence to sign your crimes with a name. I've beaten you countless times. And yet I always come back. As do weeds. But they are easy to pluck. Louise! The Countess is none of your concern. Is she not? I do not wish to discuss her. I'm sure you don't. The serial adventurer finally tamed, only for the lucky lady to vanish on her wedding night. Did she suddenly see sense one wonders? I have no interest in this pathetic attempt at provocation. Open this door. Of course, perhaps she didn't vanish. Perhaps you killed her. Perhaps you suddenly feared for your freedom and decided to annul with a heavy poker or a hand to the throat. Open this door. Perhaps dear Louise's wedding bed lies beneath the hydrangeas, accepting tender kisses from scuttling beetle, writhing worm. Open this door! I've got it. What do you want? A round of bleeding applause? Get in there and get shopping. You ain't coming in with me? Of course I'm not. Risk getting there, filling me pockets with hooky pharmaceuticals. You must think I'm stupid. That's the sort of thing I pay idiots to do, not do myself. But I'm gonna do it. Yes, Petal. But... Oh... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll stay out here and keep watch. Now you know what you're looking for, yeah? Woozies and wobblers. Oh, Lord save us. Opiates, Corky. Opiates. You can always flog an opiate in this gloomy world of ours. Delicate flowers, always after a nice narcotic nap. Yeah, nap. <laughs> Just get a wiggle on, would you? This is only a little extra tickle. We've got stuff to do. Right, oh, Mum. Makes you wonder he doesn't eat his own shoelaces. You've been listening to a Big Finish production. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe.